Oh, hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm a little sheepy. You're sheepy? I'm a little sheepy. I know you're feeling good, but I'm a little sheepy. I am a rocket ship on the moon today. Yes. I... Well, some of us didn't get 14 hours of sleep and then consume a lot of caffeine. And some of us did. And I wonder which ones we are talking about. Mm-hmm. Probably the guy who's the rocket ship on the moon is the one who got all the sleep and caffeine. <laughs> that kind of got a little bit Cosby there, didn't it? I wonder who we are talking about. <laughs> Maybe a I little. I wonder who the one is Let's... who got the sleep in the bed all Ugh. night. Yeah, I know. We don't like Bill Cosby. <laughs> I just miss doing the impression. I know. It's a fun impression to do, but I just can't think of him without, like, hating everything. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Cosby has uh, forever been soured. Yes. Remember when we watched that movie with him in it? That, that was, was very, very bad. boring movie. Incredibly boring. Uh, we got to get back to watching terrible movies. Uh, I don't know how yes. we're going to do it. I have thoughts about turning this basement into like a, a proper way to screen movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want to put a wall across this studio. Build that wall. <laughs> <laughs> Build that wall. Not the other one that makes everyone feel bad. This one. Build this wall. That's what we'll say. This wall will just keep the dogs out of the room. Yeah, right. That would, Which would be great. I actually don't know where they are, and I'm not going to question it. Uh, let's not even look at them. <laughs> The minute you look at them, you give them power. Um, but they are down here and being chill as hell, which is great. Um, has it been two weeks since we did the last Goose Chase? Are we, like, on schedule this time? I can't remember. We're, we it's either two schedule. or three. Yeah. I I can't remember because, like, if somehow oh, the schedule no. got... You were out of town last week. And right, we right, right. Do it three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I was out of town. Right. Um, but that was pretty rad. You want to talk about that at all? Sure. I uh, I went to go visit Adam, my BS friend, uh, because I haven't seen him since before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we both are fully vaccinated and figured it was good enough time to catch up. So mm-hmm. I did that and uh, had a bunch of fun. We saw a local wrestling show, which was very intense. And then uh, um, just hung out. Saw some other friends that have also been vaccinated and got to, like, sit outside and drink some beer and just catch up with some people I haven't seen in a while. And that was really nice. And then, like, chilled <laughs> out and watched TV and took like, naps. Like, like old like, people. Like, that's right. my that's my favorite thing is just the realization that, oh, we could just watch TV and nap because we're old now. Well, the, the thing for me is, like, I keep myself very busy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not a person that likes... To just sit, and if I am just sitting and not actively doing something, it's actually, like, a bad sign mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like, my my brain isn't cooperating with me at the moment. Yeah. So to, like, be somewhere else and have my purpose be, like, no, you are just here to chill out and relax and hang out and have a good time. So if that, what you're doing is just, like, Sitting and watching TV and, like, falling asleep and taking naps on the couch, then that's what you're doing. Right. But, like, it's very difficult to get my brain to accept that. What? I just heard a burp in my throat. I am so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't notice. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, my God. It's it's fine, Dick. It doesn't matter. Mm. These mics have 
heard far worse burps. <laughs> That's true. Intentionally. Yeah. Um, maybe not on this podcast. No. But, uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, it's just like kind of hard to get my brain to do that thing. I kept having to actually remind myself, like, I kept wanting to be like, what can I do? What can I do? I'm like, you're at someone else's house. Like, you're not going to start cleaning their house or something. Like, just like sit your ass down right. and relax. Just enjoy relaxing. You have, to, you have to put your brain into guest mode and just be like, whatever, right. whatever happens, happens. And that's cool. Right. And it, and the thing is, I wasn't not having a good time. I'm just so primed to like, mm-hmm. my brain never wants to like stop. It can't stop. Right. So it's just very hard to make me make that be the thing that I am doing. Mm-hmm. But it was very nice. It was nice to chill and see him. I was um, pod napped. <laughs> right. That's the as term he they calls say. it. Um, and I was a guest on one of my friend Adam's podcasts, uh, Kyle versus the MCU. Oh, okay. Which is a delightful podcast in which our friend Kyle, who has not seen very many movies at all and hadn't seen any of the Marvel movies, is being indoctrinated one at a time (laughs) um, by Adam and Brian. They're watching the movies and uh, just, you know, talking through them and seeing what everyone thinks of them, especially Kyle's take. Yeah, I think this last one that I was on was Ant Man. I think it was the one so far as as I've heard from them that he had the most of an opinion on. Everyone likes Ant Man. Yeah, I well, I discussed my feelings on that podcast. So <laughs> go listen to that when it comes out. I don't think it's up yet. Oh, that okay. particular one, but it was I I had seen it before, but we. Rewatched it so I would it'd be fresh in my mind, and then I rewatched it again with Adam because he hadn't watched it yet, mm-hmm. and um, I forgot how much I liked it. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of like a, a Marvel movie that manages to strike this really great tone uh, yeah. with a silly idea that plays out really nicely. I I think I think what makes it is the sense of humor and that it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it kind of recognizes that the concepts are a little silly. Mm-hmm. It It's if they tried to take it seriously, it would fall flat. Yeah. And one thing that was kind of funny is like we, they record part of the podcast like ahead of time and then they watch it and go back and do the, the main episode the next sense. time. So like when they finish an episode at the end of it, they record the intro for the next episode a lot of the time. Oh, that's a good production idea. Yeah. So, um, I listened to what they had recorded for the intro and part of that was the trailer. Mm-hmm. And the trailer for that movie is so weird. <laughs> tone wise, it's very different. Yeah. And it kind of has the tone of like a very deep, serious movie. And and the only hint that this is a comedy at all and not like a very intense, dramatic superhero film is the last line of it mm-hmm. where like, you know, Ant-Man says something silly. Something but like, wacky, like something de- glib or the tension. Yeah. 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 But the rest of it is Michael Douglas's character, Hank Pym, being like. We're relying on you. You got to save the world. Basically. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, that's not. (laughs) But that's that's a a comedy setup, though, right? Because you have all that drama and then you have like a. I don't think it quite hit 
Like, I I don't think the comedic line was enough to really right. hit the right notes. But it was just very weird because there was so it was so heavy on the drama and then just a little line of comedy at the end. And I'm like that. It doesn't really portray what they meant for it to portray, maybe or just like maybe they weren't the people who did the trailer weren't on the same page as the people who edited the movie, you know. Right. But it yeah, it it was weird for Kyle especially who had never watched it before seeing that trailer ahead of time and then seeing the movie and was like, "Wait, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of whiplash." You you almost have to wonder if they were trying to, they were trying to figure out as they made the movie. Right. Like what I kind mean, of movie they wanted to I make. I think they they knew they wanted it to be a comedy because their yeah. original director was Edgar What's his name? Is Edgar Wright. Right. And then he ended up leaving over creative differences or whatever. And then they got another director and I forget his name, mm. but we looked him up to see like what other things he'd done. And he's clearly a comedy director. Like he, mm. he's done mostly comedy stuff. So they clearly had that in mind. And you don't cast Paul Rudd if you don't intend for it to be comedy. Right. Funny. Like yeah. it. He's a good actor, but he's not known for being, like, a serious dramatic actor. He's yeah. usually in, like, lighter comedic roles. The question is, like, how funny you want to make it. I'm sure that that, like, that balance was probably something that maybe led to Edgar Wright leaving. Because, right. you know, I'm sure I'm sure they had different ideas. Yeah. But I like it. I love him. I, I had a really good time watching it. And it was really fun to talk to them about it. Um, yeah. And... Uh, I mentioned our podcast on there since they podnapped me. I had to mention where they podnapped me from. And uh, <laughs> Brian said he might uh, send us some recommendations oh, cool. for the podcast. So that would be cool if he does that. Hi, Brian, if you end up listening. Yeah. Um, Brian and I, who always forget that we know each other, even though we have interacted multiple <laughs> times, <laughs> it makes Adam really mad. <laughs> but it was a good time. I was glad I got to see them all. Um, other other things we want to talk about? I don't know. We got a lot of things going on. It's it's garden season. The garden mm-hmm. is getting ready. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have, have a vendetta against the plants in the side garden. Uh huh. Yep. You uh, you went aggressive and ripped out a whole bunch of these endlessly replicating little vines. Ground ivy. Mm-hmm. Bane uh, of my existence. So we're getting ready to replace that whole bed with some wildflowers, which is going to be really nice mm-hmm. and um, good for the bees. Uh, I love. My compost pile. Mm-hmm. 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 I have a compost pile. Mm-hmm. Also, um, so I bought a bunch of tomato seeds uh, at Kirsten's recommendation of like where to get them because she bought a bunch of seeds mm-hmm. from this company in California. I cannot remember their name right now. Oh, no, it's Wild Boar Farms. Hmm. Um, and I bought like nine varieties of tomatoes mm-hmm. and all of my seedlings, like I have some of each, like all the, the you know, you put like three seedlings in a little pot and you kind of or uh, mm. each pot and you kind of trim the ones that don't do the best and you end up with like a the, the the best of them right all of my little pods have tomatoes in them so we have a lot of tomatoes coming nice a lot <laughs> a lot of tomatoes it's gonna if they fruit like they should we're gonna be drowning in tomatoes right. which is great um we can give some away whatever you know can some sauce uh, yep, we can do that. We, we have all kinds of options available to us. So hopefully they actually do what they're supposed to. 
Um, the compost pile. I already mentioned that the the fruit Love tree. Love that compost pile. The the cherries are growing, and the the um the grapevine is starting little uh, bunches of grapes. So like everything's happening, which is super exciting. Uh, I can feel like my soul come back. Yeah. When the springtime comes around. Um, Bo- Boba's been in a particularly good mood lately. Yeah. Combination of losing weight and uh, because. His owners don't know how to read a measuring cup. And uh, being on anti-inflammatories for his joints Mm -hmm. because he's a big boy and getting to be an old boy. And he's just been very playful lately. So one of my favorite things that's happened lately is like a couple weeks ago when we were outside, he just like was in a very good mood and playful. Yeah. And he like looked at the cherry tree that's been there for years (laughs) and realized that oh, this tree is basically just made of sticks and put his mouth on one like he was going to break it off yeah. until you, like, stopped him. Yeah. And he, you know it's he, just like the look on his face is just like manic delight. It was really funny. The, the other day he came over to me while I was standing by that tree mm-hmm. and was, like, smiling real big, and his tail was going nuts, and he was just beating the shit out of one of the branches. And I'm like, no! <laughs> he, no! He's not conscious of his body in space. <laughs> he, did, he did something to me recently that he hasn't done in a really long time. Hmm. I was out in the yard. I was having a cigarette. I was like half crouched over going, come here, boy, you know, and he he came at me and I stayed low and he like shoulder checked me. Yeah. And it was great. I'm like, yeah. oh, my little warrior is back. Yeah. It's really nice to see him like that. <sighs> it's just he's, so nice. He's to been see. very friendly and cuddly. He's been a little more open to like being cuddly with Leroy than he normally is. Yeah. Just like, you know. The way anyone acts, animals included, when they are used to being in a little bit of pain all the time and then mm-hmm. they're suddenly in less pain all the time and their personality comes back a bit. Yeah. He, uh, he tends to be a little grumpy Gus and not want anyone to, like, be, like, near him if he's laying on the ground. And I think a big part of it is he's just afraid someone's going to step on him when mm-hmm. he's already sore. But the anti-inflammatory seems to be helping that. So Andy's on joint supplements. We have to talk about one more thing. What's that? Your notebook. Oh, no. We have to talk about it. Why not? (laughs) We have to. Okay. I'm ready. I'm going to tell this from my perspective. You tell it. So what happened was we went over yesterday to visit with Katie and Mike for Mike's graduation, which was super fun. Congratulations. And we hung out with them and their family and uh, their baby, the little Lord Cheddar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rory, who uh, has cheese in his neck flaps, and that is why he is Cheddar or Cheds or little Lord Cheddar. Oh, he's going to be so glad years from now that <laughs> yeah, right. That he is immortalized in this way. <laughs> oh, they're not going to stop calling him Cheddar. This no. is, this oh, is no. a lifelong thing now. Um, so, uh, while we were over there, we saw something which, uh, has been preserved since you were what, 14, 15? You guys were like in middle school. It started in late middle school. I don't think I participated in it until high school, freshman year high school. But yes, it, it like 13, 14 was the prime age. And it is a dictionary collection of sayings or phrases weird laws that are definitely not real and song lyrics song lyrics and all kinds of Uh, weird (laughs) history report on uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's and photos and notes about people that you like and do not like 
basically exactly what lots of a, pictures of hot dogs pictures of hot dogs on like the first like 20 pages every fourth fifth page has a picture of a hot dog okay on it. so so here's the thing <laughs> at that point in time there was like this little um like uh God. They're mini Polaroids. The mini Polaroid with photos the strips you could take. that you would pull out of the side of the camera. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure the you, they were stickers too. Like you, could, they were. Yeah, you could stick the photos on things, mm-hmm. and they came with a couple of like pre-made photos that you could just use as stickers and stick on things. And one of them was a hot dog. But clearly, like four of us who participated in this book, four or five of us had those. <laughs> cameras and so had the hot dog pictures so there's like four random hot dog <laughs> pictures that and the pictures throughout do not have for the most part anything to do with what's talked about on the page yeah except for the page that is pictures of some of our friends with a little blurb about them mm-hmm. um jen waltman is included in this That's and right. apparently she also helped write parts of it uh-huh um yeah but most of it is printouts of <laughs> definitions of words. Like that it, we uh, typed on a computer. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> there is one of the... Ed- okay, so the first dictionary, there's like three dictionaries. No, 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 no. There's one dictionary. There's a dictionary, two. And yeah, then there's, there's two addendums. volumes. Yeah, there's like... Well. There's like basically every other section is stuff we really, really forgot, whatever. Yeah, and more there's, addendums. there's also like an addition for each holiday. Yeah. That may or may not have anything to do with a holiday. I look at this like an archaeologist. I'm yeah. like, what was happening to them? What the hell was going on that this all came down onto the page? There's also a review page. Yes, the final page That's is... That's my please, favorite part. Please leave a review. Like, um, okay, my favorite <laughs> part is the fact that, like, we just, like, brain dumped all the time. Just weird shit into this book. And then we were, like, proud of it. <laughs> so proud. And... and that you like, wanted people to forced comment. it on other people and wanted them to read it and and review it. And it's funny <laughs> now because it's like now that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> I do not want anyone to read that and review it. Well, it's great. But it the- is like there are parts of it that are genuinely clever and there are parts of it that are like really funny and yeah. and they're the most of it is just like what were we doing like what were we thinking i wish i had it in front of me right now so i could cite it chapter and verse because <clears throat> to me it is like a historical document right i loved reading it some of those words are not words some right. are like actually just a misspelling of a word gets its own entry like this yeah. is a misspelling of this one um yeah some are just like the opposite of other terms <laughs> Right. Or like additional like like you one of them is a suffix like <laughs> yeah, ness, the suffix N-E-S-S, N-E-S-S, <laughs> N-E-S-S, just so you know that you could put this on the end of any of these words and it becomes an, an uh, a noun form of the adjective or whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so weird. Um, there's so many strange entries in there. And yeah. in the second so, review on the back, which there's only two reviews, and the second review is so honest. It says I re- something like, I really liked it. You guys really had a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> I think that was actually. Uh, so the person signed their name, Heather. Yeah. And um, I'm not 100% for short, but I think it might have been our friend whose name is now Heather Conley. Yeah. And if that's the case, I really appreciate the honesty, Heather. <laughs> 
You didn't ask for that responsibility. <laughs> oh, it's so great, though. I mean, there's mentions of other people in there, too, quite a bit. And then there's like lots of little mentions of there's people. There's a whole page dedicated to someone named Dave that apparently we did not like. Someone named Dave you did not like. It wasn't you, though. I'm not sure it wasn't, but I believe it you. It wasn't because uh, you were not in any of our classes because you were a grade above us. That's true. It was someone, someone was someone in class. Someone else named Dave. Someone else named Dave. I don't know. It's uh, just like. There's so many beautiful highlights, though, in here. I wish I could think of like some. <clears throat> the thing is, it's almost better not to say them because they're yeah. like they they come from this place of like pure childhood, I guess. Um, and and like you can really tell like what we parts of what we were going through. You're like, oh, OK, someone got a boyfriend and oh, someone yeah. else is mad about it. Like <laughs> The entry about boyfriends. And, oh, it's weird. Yeah. So like clearly people were working through shit. People, I think you know, it's great, though, because you're like you're you, it's a snapshot into the pressures of being a kid. And like, oh, now there's boyfriends around and maybe those boyfriends are a little pushy or whatever. And it's like we as girlfriends are looking out for our girlfriend. And <laughs> what I like and about also it? we wish we had a pushy boyfriend, apparently. <laughs> right, that part was weird. It's I don't uh, know. But it's, it's very weird. what I like about it is the fact that like. There's all kinds of movies about this period in like a girl's yeah. life, right? Sort like of like this, the Harriet the Spy era of your Or like childhood. a little bit later than that. Like mm -hmm. when going through puberty and dealing with all this stuff. There's all kinds of books and movies about this. Mm. But I don't think they really fully capture how fucking weird you are at that age. Like it's not like mm -hmm. like Oh, this is our slam book. Ha ha. Like, it's <laughs> like, no, we were the nerd version of that. That totally. were like, no, we're going to write a dictionary. Because we're huge dorks. And the thing is, I already told you this, but like, <laughs> I had a book called The Dave Shinary. Yeah. We were doing the exact same yeah. weird shit yeah. at the same time and didn't know it. Mm hmm. And that's why we're in love now. <laughs> because <laughs> we're huge dorks. It's the, it's but, the weird that bonds us. <laughs> Katie's sister was like, just, <laughs> you guys were such dorks. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. There's even little... I'm like, yes, this is what we were doing. Yeah. On like a Friday night, which like typing definitions into <laughs> the first, Microsoft Word. The first dictionary is 400 some entries long. Yes. There are so. There's an entry for the printer. Yes. That printed all Epson. of this. Epson, the wonderful thing that enables me to do this. Yeah. Like you like like you're calling it by name. His name is Epson. And we probably did refer to him as Epson. <laughs> probably did. <laughs> there's there's so many great entries in there, and they're like very weird. Some of them aren't even attempts to define. That's what I really like is when you come across one and it's like, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like the definition right. is man, I don't if you don't know what this is, I don't, I don't know what know. to tell you. There's there's one of my favorites is like a blank. And it's basically just like a blank left for curse words that we can't put in here yeah. because of the children <laughs> that does, may read it. And I'm like, did we really think that children were going to be reading this? Yeah, you like left a blank that stands in for all curse words that are not appropriate to put what's, in there. What's dorkier than that? That's like, we don't want to get in trouble for yeah. this notebook that no one's going to oh, see. There's like great details of like crushes and there's like oh, geez. songs. And oh, there's a song that Katie wrote that was called like... Uh, don't cry like a big fat hairy girl or something. What was yeah, it? Yeah, it's something don't like be that. a big fat. I think it was called "Don't be a big fat hairy girl." Yeah, that's very. They, there's a lot of strange things that 
The songs are some of my favorites. <laughs> I think I contributed one. They're usually co-written, so it's like a couple of us wrote them. Yes. And they're specifically mentioned who did, who did most of it. Right. Who did who participated and who did most of it, <laughs> which I like that differentiation. Yeah, like this one is – this one is – like example, this one is by Katie and Christy, but mostly Katie. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like, all right. <laughs> Credit where credit's due, I guess. <laughs> but what that really is is like – I'm proud of this. I'm proud of this, <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I'm happy to share credit, but but like mostly this. But is, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a delight. It's my favorite historical document of all time, and I really wish there were two of them. None so of you one. will ever see it. No, I'm going to write a review. Uh, I actually, do want you to write a review because when we forget about it and find it in another 10 years, that'll be funny. You have to date the review, though. I will. I'm going to Roger Ebert the hell out of this. I'm going <laughs> to write it so seriously. Also, the next time we see Katie and Mike, I should bring all of the um, Dolan comic stuff that I have because that happened at around the same time period. Yeah. So Katie and I used to um, write and draw in Microsoft Word <laughs> a comic called Dolan that yeah. we would then print and sell to our friends at school <laughs> for 25 cents a pop. And... Um, I it's think wonderful. there's maybe like four or five full ones that we did. And then there's a couple that were started and we never finished them. And then there's a couple like little extra things here and there. Um, but the lore of Dolan was starting to be flushed out at the time of that notebook. Cause yeah. there's stuff in there that Katie and I are like, Oh yeah, that's Dolan stuff. <laughs> um, but I have the rest of it in a separate folder um sketches and drawings a background and yeah just like character development and then all the comics that we made some some of them i have like extra copies of that we clearly didn't sell <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just like so weird and great it's so like while you were doing that i was like drawing like with like colored pencils an entire remake of golden eye 007 right called golden pie <laughs> in which a giant pumpkin pie with a fork in it was orbiting the earth with like that could blast a laser down and, mm -hmm. and Jimmy Boone, agent 003 and a half had to save the world <laughs> from yeah. characters with a, oh God, the satire is so weak. Like, do you remember the character Valentin Zakovsky, who's like the mm, Russian informant? I, never, I haven't really watched the movie. Though, well, though. his name is Valentine, and he's a big heart. <laughs> like, there's no creativity in there at all. It's like the lowest no, but hanging like, fruit. That's, but you're in middle school. That's, like, starting to, like, <laughs> develop a sense of humor. Yes. It's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. There's, like, a page in our book of, like, Christy's cynical thoughts. <laughs> oh yeah, and one of them They're is not all just, very cynical, but <laughs> one of them is all like, "Hey, town of Bologna, Germany, you're called Baloney." Start. <laughs> it's basically Paul Rust's new no-no. <laughs> it's a new no-no. Right. I was very upset with the pronunciation. New even no, though no. Clearly, we mispronounce it, and not them. <laughs> Bologna is Baloney now. Um, my favorite was um, the issue I took with the phrase more fun than a barrel of monkeys because I was like, I contend that a barrel of monkeys is probably not that much fun and I feel bad for the barrel, quite frankly. It's like, at 13, this is what's on your mind? You wrote about this for an entire paragraph and you like right. co-authored it. You cited someone else who also helped you come to this conclusion. So you, you were sharing your research findings. Yes. 
<laughs> that's what I, if anyone wants to know what I was like as a kid and whether or not I was cool, that's what I was doing when I was 13. Yeah. The answer is you no. and I were not cool. No. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's okay. We're we're what we are. <laughs> uh that feels like a great time to move. Uh on. I did have a couple more things I want to mention oh, very okay. quickly. So last episode was on um Stuart Simple and Anish Kapoor. Yes. And I mentioned I bought some products, but obviously had just purchased them, didn't get them at the time. I've since gotten them. Yep. I got to use some of them. Mm-hmm. I did get Black 3.0, but I gifted it to Mike. Yes. Um, for his graduation gift, and I got myself a replacement bottle. So I haven't personally used it yet. But He's graduating out of the the arts program at YSU, so it yeah, feels appropriate. I, and up, I didn't know this when I gave it to him, but he mentioned that he had done a report on Stuart Semple. So <clears throat> perfect. So I know he'll get like some fun out of that. Yeah, he'll do something cool with it. And uh, I also got a watercolor set, which I've been using a lot and doing lots of weird watercolors with. Mm-hmm. One is a portrait of uh, Leonard Scrimshaw, <laughs> who is so a much. crab claw, a disembodied crab claw. I don't think we talked about him on here, but there's not that much to say. It's uh, a crab claw that you made talk and steal my corn at yes. dinner. Yes, because I'm a child. <laughs> um, I had to talk you out of we didn't talk about that either. We had to talk you out of taking no, it with you. No, you oh, no, didn't no. talk me out of it. No, you talked yourself out of it. Yes. And then I You was... encouraged me. <laughs> That's right. Let's be clear about the dynamic uh, here. How memories fade. <laughs> and then it was like, Dave, listen, I appreciate your support, but also I know I need to be a responsible human, and I know that my emotional attachment to this buttery crab claw is not okay. <laughs> this dirty garbage cannot <laughs> like, come home with us. This is literally garbage, and I cannot take this home with us. I'm talking myself through it. Oh, my it. God. We were walking in Walmart, and talking you're like, about you know, it. I need to set limits for myself. <laughs> and I've, it was so funny. The sincerity. You're like, I just know I need to set rules for myself. And you're not allowed to take garbage home I'm from not, the restaurant. I can't take trash with me when I leave places. Just very sincere about it. <laughs> because the emotional attention is real. You were still, it's not you were still even a little a sad. I'm sad. I didn't take you, Leonard's you were still a little sad. But he was literally buttery garbage. Hot to, buttery garbage. I need to set rules for myself. <laughs> I, I, I can't do things like this. I thank you, but I can't do that. <laughs> um, and then also moving on from that. Mm. Um, yeah, and I got some like cool neon. Um, paints from him from Stuart Semple that I've been using too and it's all really great so far. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um and then also in uh, to tie into setting limits for myself okay. and try to be a more functional human being, I got a smartwatch. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because there's one day a week at work that like my schedule four days the schedule is the same and one day it's different. And every time uh-huh. I do something to mess up that one day, last week it was going in at the right time and leaving an hour early because I forgot <laughs> that I went in an hour later than I'm used to. Yeah. So I decided that I, I have to do something. Well, part about of the that. thing is just like having to keep your phone away and not use it at work. Right. It's harder to keep track of these <clears> things. If you have it on your wrist, it's a little easier to see at a glance and that'll help a lot. Right. Like I, I have remind, I use my phone for reminders and stuff, but I don't look at my phone at work. And so, or like I do sometimes, but I, like you said, I try to keep it away in a drawer so I'm not constantly messing with it. And 
then like I lose track of time or get focused on something and and forget who I am and what day it is and what's happening and yeah. things go wrong. So <laughs> hopefully I'm trying to find ways that this will help. Mm-hmm. And we found a really cool grocery list app that we can both contribute to. So that yeah. will help too. I, I told you you're my new robot courier. Yes. I, if I just, if I know you're at the store, I can just, hey, friendly robot, Christy, <laughs> bring me home some butter. I need butter. I need butter now. That's, that's basically all I got. Okay. Well, gosh, if, if that's all you got, it seems like uh, we should just move on to the main subject of the episode and not do anything in between. Okay. Okay, we'll take a break here in a moment, and we'll be back with the main segment no, of the episode. No, you're not getting away that easy. Oh, no. You know there's a game. Oh, shit, you're right. You're I such almost... a fool. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a you're fool. You're such a fool. <laughs> Should we talk about that briefly? No. Okay. <laughs> Christy played Got Your Nose with me and then said, you such a fool. That's and the whole story. And then couldn't stop laughing for 10 minutes. <laughs> You're such a fool. You're such a fool. You knew I wanted it. You you, know, you got it. You're such, You're a, such fool. a fool. All right, weirdo. What do you want to play? Uh, I was thinking we could play True Symphony. Holy shit, of course. You need to tell me. You need to tell me why you wouldn't happen to me. It's time for truth and truth. Time to play truth and truth. Everyone's playing. Everyone's playing. Famous game. Famous game. The game that's taken the internet by storm. A Merv Griffin production. <clears throat> All right. I'll play Trues and Fuse with you. All right. Tell me how it works. Okay. Trues and Fuse is a game of fun little game. It's sweeping the nation. It's an internet game in which we will, I will give you three news headlines. Two of them are false. One is true. You will tell me which is the truth and which is the news. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I've done better. You stuck the landing. It's okay. Yes. It's fine. Now let's let's do it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Christian Madlibs. South Carolina Vandal completes religious signs with sentences like God saves your butt and thank you, Jesus, for last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clever. Okay. Number two. Mm-hmm. New Boston, New Hampshire man plunged wiki time tea display from local tea shop Dream a Little Dream of Tea into Bailey Pond, claiming their premium prices are worse than England's taxes. Oh, my God. Like a new Boston tea party. Okay, that's awesome. Number three. Elderly couple uses Morse code to escape Tennessee assisted living facility. Whoa. God, I hope that's not true. Oh my God! Just have the thought of old people pulling an an Ender's run. <clears throat> Do you want three caps? Yeah, or not Ender's run? What's the word? No, Ender's, Ender's game. No, not Ender's game. I got the wrong movie. Uh, Logan's run. <laughs> <laughs> you combined them. Yeah. It's- <laughs> <laughs> the idea of old people pulling an Ender's game is even funnier because <laughs> they're like brittle and flying around in space shooting crabs and stuff. <laughs> No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Logan's run. Yeah, give me a recap. <laughs> Sorry, my brain is weird today. That's uh, okay. Mine's always weird. I get it. <laughs> Number one, 
Christian Mad Libs. South Carolina Vandal completes religious signs with sentences like God saves your butt and thank you, Jesus, for last night. <laughs> I really like that one. <clears throat> Number two. Yeah. New Boston, New Hampshire man plunged wiki time tea display from local tea shop Dream a Little Dream of Tea into Bailey Pond, claiming their premium prices are worse than England's taxes. Okay. Number three. Elderly couple uses Morse code to escape Tennessee assisted living facility. Uh, the last one's kind of sad. Um, okay, here's my rationale. Number two sounds like it's something that happened in Gilmore Girls, and so I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, number three is kind of sad, and I feel like it's probably the true one. Number one is really funny, and I feel like you thought of it. So against my against what I want to believe, I'm voting for number three. God damn it, you're right. Ooh, yes. <clears throat> I was hoping you would you would think that one was me because it had something to do with my profession, and then you would think that maybe oh, yeah. I came up with it. That would have been a good red herring that way, but I, <clears throat> I figured that you wouldn't come up with something so sad. The thing is, it's not super sad. I, was, I didn't think it was super sad. Well, they're escaping. It's a little dangerous because they escaped, but they uh, were recovered. They had just gone for a walk. Oh, okay. Well, why were they unable to go for a walk? They have Alzheimer's and dementia. Oh. And so they, so what happened is that they're in like the memory unit, which is like a little more locked down to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen sure. and they don't just wander off. Right. And apparently they have like a digital lock that's like a keypad, but apparently it has different tones for each digit. So and they so hear the... the husband used his skills past Morse code skills to listen to the tones and memorize what the password was and then put it in and they got out. Oh um, and they, it seems like they really did like they were found walking pretty nearby. Um, and so the homeless find, they, they obviously got in trouble for this. The homeless find. Yeah. And, um, they, they said they're, like, they changed their passwords and they're checking on the residents more frequently. And they are also, um, scheduling a supervised walk for that couple every day so they can go out and get the rock. Okay, well, that's a really happy ending. <clears throat> yes, it could have been worse. It could have been much worse, but it did end very well. And they get the rock. Yeah, the fact that they get their walk. I mean, like, the part that makes me sad is that they felt they had to go to these lengths to take a walk together. Well, but, but also, like, if you have... Dementia and Alzheimer's, you're not necessarily thinking... Your reasoning might be very... In, yeah. Like, you're not even necessarily in this timeline. Like, in their heads, they might not have even necessarily been in an assisted living facility. Right. You know, you don't know exactly what their motivation was. For all we know, it's, there's like a POW fantasy. Right. It's very like, possible that they could have just asked to go on a walk and that would have happened. But you don't know what processing right. was actually happening in their head at the time. So... I it ended up the best possible way it could have ended up. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I hope that they're happy right now. Me, too. And I hope that they're enjoying a lovely walk on a nice day like this. Yes. 
And I'm really sad that there's no sign out there that says, thank you, Jesus, for last night or whatever. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's really funny to me. God saves your butt. <laughs> well, those like, you know why that felt very real to me is there's a lot of those religious signs that are just very short. Yeah. You know. I, what made me think of it was the God saves signs. Yeah. I was like, what? What could we do with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was but I, I am proud of the thank you, Jesus, for last night. <laughs> Number two did feel like it's something that would happen in the Gilmore Girls as someone would throw okay, the local tea. I have like, to tell. So I had the idea of like coming up with a new Boston Tea Party because I thought it would be really funny. Yeah. But New Boston, New Hampshire is a real place. Okay. And Bailey Pond is a real pond in New Boston, New Hampshire. That's part of what made it sound so real. Yeah, is in, the details. in my like my personal devotion to trying to make these as realistic as possible. Yeah, <laughs> the extra real details feel real. Well, I originally was going to make it um, in New Boston and like Missouri or something. And then I was like, you know what? I wonder if there is, there's got to be a new Boston somewhere. And so I looked up new Boston and the first one that popped up was New Hampshire. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause it's like, it's East, you know? Right. So I just went with it. And then I was like, I, okay, let me see what little like, like some ponds are around there. And I found Bailey Pond. So I do that too. I'll like yeah. find details of real places and add them into my story. It just makes it more real. Yeah. Well, that was a really good quiz. That was yeah, a really fun I didn't, quiz. I didn't. The I fact, didn't stump you. The fact that you didn't stump me doesn't mean it wasn't really yeah. good. I had fun writing those. I was having a really hard time writing them. Mm. Um, like I started last night and then I just couldn't think of anything. But I finally got there. Mm. But I, I did have fun once I got, once I pulled the right threads. Yes. The The hard thing is like we spend so much time around each other now that like Mostly, you know anything, any bit of inspiration, like anything that would have happened. Yeah. So, like, it's usually what I pull from is like, okay, what's happened recently that I could just like use as an idea? Mm -hmm. But you know everything. You're <laughs> I, around I, for everything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my challenge is not to make them all about some new brand of cereal. <laughs> I don't know why, but I always want to go to cereal. I have a couple things like that too that I tend to fall <laughs> back on. That right. I'm like, no. It's always like a politics. Be serial. And the other <laughs> challenge is like trying to find the right tone, like and also trying to find like the the true one that isn't actually too like depressing or something yeah. like because it's usually all about COVID or about politics or like, yeah. you know, whatever's going on at the time. And it's like, ugh, ugh. remember the one about the goat mayor that cheated on his goat wife? Yeah, I wish that was real. Like, Billy Goat Clinton. <laughs> Okay, listen, let's take a break here. Uh, we've been going a hot second, uh, about 42 minutes in. So let's take a break and we'll come back. Okay. <laughs> I had to stretch uh, with uh, the main segment. Fit. Fran, Fran. Fran, Fran. That's the, uh, that's uh, uh, like uh, the version from like Holland or something is Fjorn, Fjorn. Fjorn, Fjorn. Fjorn, Fjorn. Maybe that's like Iceland. Fjorn, Fjorn. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Fjorn, Fjorn. Uh, All right. Be back in a minute.
And we're back. And we're back. Mm, still stretching. Yeah. That was a good stretch. That was neat. Was that you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard that. Okay. Um, it is time for the main segment. It is time. It is time. Um, I am <laughs> tentatively calling this episode Go Fungi Yourself. Um, All right. And basically, in advance, I'm just going to tell you, we're talking, you already know, we're talking about, you know, blockchain type crypto type stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and this is going to be kind of like light on the technical side, because I think the more interesting thing to talk about is what has become the economic side of non-fungible tokens. Um, NFTs, which have become really, really popular, like in the last couple of months. Um, I don't know how much you know about them. The NFT as an idea. Minimal. Yeah. I think about as much as the layperson knows. Yeah. Maybe I, slightly more just because, you know, you and some of your friends have talked to me about them, but Yeah, I don't I don't really know um like an in-depth technical level, and that's not the part I'm focused on really, but mm-hmm. Anyway, um yeah, this episode might end up turning into a little bit of a rant, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but basically uh, let me start by saying that, like, everybody, even people who don't know nothing. Dance now. Everybody dance now. <laughs> and while you're dancing, think about this. Uh, everybody knows about, like, crypto in air quotes now, right? hmm Like, you don't really have to know much to know that cryptocurrency is a thing a people thing. are very fixated on, right? And in particular, that people are seeing it as an investment opportunity to throw money in and then crypto becomes worth more. And- mm-hmm. Everyone can, everyone's going to get rich on crypto and no one will lose out really hard. (laughs) Um, But crypto is very popular right now. Um, Bitcoin. (laughs) What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin. Oh, that guy. What a legend. Uh, Anyway, so a lot of people, a lot of people um, know about crypto in that sense. Um, the latest crypto craze is around this concept of NFTs. Um, and I'll get into what they are, but basically the, the gist of an NFT is that it, it, it refers to non-fungible token. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a unique kind of thing that lives on the cryptocurrency blockchains, right? Not all of them. Actually, I think, like, for example, Bitcoin does not have built in, I don't think, a concept of non-fungible tokens. It's strictly this currency. Strictly fungible. Yeah, very fungible. <laughs> or at least that's the idea. Um, NFTs are different. Um, and they've become insanely popular and they're, you know, kind of serving as a way to own something that previously wasn't ownable. So I'm going to try and explain that concept more than the technical side of what an NFT Ooh. is, how it lives on the blockchain. You know, all that stuff. Um, So let me start with saying this word fungible, as in go fungi yourself, uh, (laughs) is a word that came up in a previous episode of Goose Chase. Actually, it was I'm fairly certain it was our Halloween spooky episode with Mm -hmm. Kirsten. And Kirsten was talking when we were talking about this idea of like, what is money or like, what is a currency? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the uh, features that a good currency should have is fungibility. 
right? Which basically just means that, like, a solid currency should be... Made of mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you should be able to plant it and get mushrooms. Um, No, Uh, not at all, Christy, you silly (laughs) dum-dum. Hey! (laughs) No, so... That's Miss Silly Dum-Dum to you. (laughs) Um... It's basically any dollar, like take a dollar, right? Dollar bill and a shitty ratty dollar bill and a crisp, clean new dollar bill. Doesn't matter what kind of dollar bill you Spins have. Spins the same. A dollar is exchangeable for a dollar. This fungibility thing that like a thing should be non-unique, totally exchangeable for another one just like itself. And that's what makes a good currency, right? Mm-hmm. No dollar is better than another dollar. What year it's, I mean, aside from like, you know, really old ones that might be collectible, but even that is kind of whatever, right? It's still a dollar. Yeah. Um, so that what, that's what makes fungibility. Uh, a non-fungible token on a blockchain, you know, existing out there as this like digital thing is different in that it's, a, it's an item that isn't neatly or evenly exchangeable for anything else and partially because it's totally unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the I, w- I want to give like a brief overview of what the blockchain is when it comes to cryptocurrencies, right? Please do. Uh, so the blockchain is this like super transparent, worldwide, easily accessible and viewable ledger. Just a big like, you know, transaction notebook of every time a coin is created on the the, the, the Bitcoin, you know, or, or other crypto uh, registry. Every time it's spent. From who and to who it is spent, mm-hmm. you know? So the idea is rather than like how, you know, your your bank might have a private record of all the accounts and who spends what and all that, the blockchain is super transparent and visible to everybody. It maintains a kind of trust. How does that – how is that good then for – People who use things like Bitcoin to buy things on the dark web. Uh, well, it doesn't. So it's not necessarily good for them in that sense. But I mean, like, why would you use Bitcoin over other forms of currency when it's so very traceable? Well, it's very traceable in the sense that you know what wallet it went from and what wallet it went to. But it's no; those wallets are still private in the sense that. I you can don't see know this. who they belong to. Exactly. I mean, there's still like mysteries around like when huge amounts of money move on that blockchain. People go, what the hell was that? Yeah. They don't really know what the exchange is for. There, I don't think that there's a mechanism to note the reason or like notes on why the money went. There might be. I don't actually know that for sure. Mm. But for the most part. But even if you were doing something shady, you wouldn't, even if there was exactly an ability to. But the the real value in it is just that everyone can see where the money is and where it's moving. Everyone has an accurate picture of it. You know, currencies can't be artificially inflated, for example. So, like, mm-hmm. the U.S. government can print just a bajillion bucks whenever they want. You really can't do that with Bitcoin. There's an exact number of Bitcoins on the blockchain more are mined every day, and so their existence is, is you know, traced. But you know where the money is. Mm-hmm. And so that transparency is part of what is the charm of cryptocurrencies, is that people, like, there's a, there's a, everyone knows exactly what's up. Mm-hmm. Can't be manipulated. I can't uh, decide a Bitcoin is worth $50,000 and then just make some. Mm-hmm. And so that encourages trust, right? 
Uh, And and also the fact that they're mined using, you know, which this is a whole other concern because the power alone that's used to mine bitcoins is actually horrible for the environment at this point. Wait, I don't under, I need you to explain (laughs) a little bit about how do you mine a digital currency? You know what? You're right. I wrote this uh, without taking that stuff in mind. So let me go back a little bit. Um, So when the first, when Bitcoin was first introduced as a concept, a semi-anonymous author of the mechanism named Satoshi Nakamoto, who no one knows if that's a real person or a group of people. They, they released this idea. I can't remember exactly where, maybe on a Usenet forum somewhere of like, here's this concept, this chain of transactions. So everyone knows where the money is and an increasingly complex algorithm that people have to solve problems on in order to create a Bitcoin. Right. Okay. So let's say there's like this mathematical equation that's sitting out there. It's the latest sort of seed on the ledger of Bitcoin. And all these people are working together to try to find the solution to it. Um, and that's the way it's structured is that you don't know the answer to this. You have to solve essentially a problem with to make a Bitcoin. Yes. And you do it with computation. So machines are solving this problem whenever a solution is found. The people that participated in the solution, if they're a, a mine pool of people, share the the proceeds. Or if an individual computer finds it and they're not a part of a pool, they just get the Bitcoin. But basically, it's called proof of work. And this is how, like, one or many computers solve these increasingly difficult math problems and generate Bitcoins along the way. Okay. But the reason that it is hard on the environment is because of the energy output of the machines doing the computation. Yeah. And actually it's also why people who like video games are having an incredibly hard time finding a graphics card now because GPUs are really good at solving this kind of problem mm-hmm. as opposed to CPUs. So people buy up Radeon cards or, uh, or um, uh, GeForce cards by the hundreds and build these giant Bitcoin mining rigs to solve okay. these problems. There will reach a point, it might already be here, where it's actually not that profitable to do that, mm-hmm. you know? But, uh, well, I guess as the price of Bitcoin goes higher, it continues to be profitable, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is how this works, is that it's set up to get harder and harder and harder over time to solve for a, a Bitcoin. So started off with a lot of Bitcoins available, and then there's less and less of them. And there's a built-in sort of complexity that leads to scarcity, Mm-hmm. Or eventually, at some point, I can't remember what year it's projected to be, all the Bitcoins that will ever exist will have been made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the kind of mechanism behind how coins are generated and also how they're kept track of. Because mm-hmm. that big ledger makes sure that not only are people doing the work to get the Bitcoins, but that when they do, we know where they go, roughly, and that nothing new can just be generated out of nowhere. Yeah. And all this is decentralized, too. So this list, this ledger, lives on many, many, many machines around the world. And so that means that everyone's got the same record There's, and can double yeah, check. accountability. Yes. It's very, very difficult, if not nearly impossible, to break that record, except with something they call like a 51% attack. If more than 50% of the machines have a bad lie of a record, a false record, 
they can decide it's the truth and correct mm-hmm. all the other ones. Does that make sense? Yes. I only It only makes sense because of watching Silicon Valley. <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually kind of – it's the same idea. Ownership of the network over 50% is enough to decide what the real record is. Mm-hmm. But keeping it decentralized among so many people is what makes it hard for that to happen. Yeah. So that's – that's the blockchain, right? Um, now, uh, let me pull my notes again, but we move into this this new idea of a non-fungible token, which is not like coins at all. It's not like a thing that can be exchanged evenly for another one. They're these unique entities on the blockchain. Ethereum is the the one that is getting the most play right now, I think. But there's a bunch of other kind of uh, crypto blockchains that have a concept of like a non-fungible token built into them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me get to what I think is the interesting part about this stuff. Um, so here's here's how this works in practice. When I wrote this, I didn't know it was already happening. So bear with me as I lay out a hypothetical example that's actually a real example. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Because I knew they were thinking about doing this kind of thing. Um, so, uh, well, actually this is something that happened a little while back. The New York times, I think I told you about this, like an author at the New York times wrote an article about NFTs, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, here's how they work and here's why they're the future. But then as an experiment, he decided to auction it off as an NFT mm-hmm. and see how much money it made. So what that means is here's how an NFT kind of like gets on the blockchain is he takes his article and turns it into a long JPEG, right? Mm-hmm. And he uploads it onto the Ethereum network. And it's encoded now in that big, long ledger with all the coins and the stuff like that that's mm-hmm. moving around. There's now also this thing, which is his JPEG of his article. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to auction it and see what it goes for. And it ends up selling for over $700,000. I'm shaking my head. (laughs) I shake my head, too. I feel like we're going to feel similarly about this. But, okay, here's the question. Why? Like, who wants this for $700,000, right? Right. Because, I mean, that JPEG of that article and the article itself are available to us. Mm Mm-hmm. I can go and look at it the same as anyone else. Mm Mm-hmm. So why is someone willing to pay $700,000 to own, and I put this in heavy air quotes, that article. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's historically significant for sure. You could certainly see that the New York Times running an explainer article about NFTs is like a, a document of historical value. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a collector could see value in that. Um, a collector could, you know, I mean, there's only one of these that will ever be able to exist on the Ethereum blockchain. So there's Scarcity, and this is an important concept with this stuff. There's only one of it on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, in theory, someone else could take that image and put it on another blockchain and sell it too. But let's for now just think that this is the one and only of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything else, if there's only one of it, and even if ownership is this really vague concept, it has value. It has value if people think it has value. I am. You are feeling what I am feeling. (laughs) 
And I'm going to make it even worse here as I explain other examples. I'm holding off on my opinion because <clears throat> I know you said there'll be some discussion. So, well, no, I mean, what are your gut reactions to this? Because we're going to get into it more, but let's talk about it. Just the frustration that this idea of ownership is what brings the value. Yes. Like, like. What does okay, it mean to own that? But like, but who the fuck cares who owns it if we can all read it and get the actual value out of it at any point in time? Yes. So what are you getting from owning it? So then you spent $700,000 on, I don't like being a pick me and being the first to like own something that anyone else can see at any point in time and get the actual value out of it. Totally. Like totally. And and also like I want to be clear that I very much very much wholeheartedly believe that if like something makes you happy and it's not hurting anyone else and you have the ability to obtain it and it's going to make you happy for even like 5 seconds, uh-huh. fine. Buy that toy at the drugstore that's stupid and you'll never use but it makes you laugh and makes you happy yeah. and it's like 25 cents. Whatever, like Fine. Yes. Do that. But $700,000 is a lot. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, there are people that like could really use $700,000 and you just bought a essentially useless thing for $700,000 because yeah. you wanted to say it's mine and only mine forever. Well, that's that's one of the things, right? Is it's mine and only mine or it's mine, and I can sell it to someone who might want it even more. So there's this additional layer but of investment, quote unquote. it doesn't matter because anyone can see it Yes. at any point in time. I very much agree with you. And this is where I think – this is where – this is why it's so interesting to me. This is why I had to talk about it because what does it mean to own something? There's like something weird happening in the world right now yes, that we're, we're just like all losing our minds. I told someone recently <laughs> it's Beanie Babies, except, yeah. except with Beanie Babies, they literally could make 10 of them and stop. Yeah. This is a thing that exists infinitely because of the Internet and the way that information exchange works and the fact that that, that thing is not actually scarce. But yeah. there's a concept of scarcity because there's only one of it on this digital ledger. It's so hard to wrap my head around people's motivations with this stuff. Well, I'm glad you gave me your feelings on it because we're about to move more into the implications of this kind of thing. And I think you'll feel more things as we talk about it, right? I can't wait to feel more things. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a good and a bad side, I think. And mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the good flip side at the end. I, okay. What I think is the good flip side. It's not... It's not that good, but it's kind of good. You'll see what I mean. But All right. um, I said a lot of this reminds me. It's it's funny. This thing of like not being able to own it. Do you remember the meme? I just really, really, really like this image. Mm-mm. I think I've seen some of them. So it's like this stupid image of like a banana that has lost its peel mm-hmm. with a big dumb smiley face on it. Mm-hmm. And it's an exchange between presumably very old people on Facebook. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the one says, I just really, really, really like this image. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, take it. It's yours, friend. And then they continue to talk about this. Other people are in the conversation. And it's like, that is hilarious specifically because 
you can't own or restrict the downloading or taking or duplicating of an image, right? Right. But we're moving into trying to do exactly that mm-hmm. for real fucking money. Yeah. It's the same thing as the old 4chan meme of rare Pepe, do not steal. And it was like a Pepe the Frog of like some yeah. particular, you know, it's... So we're moving into a real-world application for the limiting of digital assets, which is both hilarious and has, like, huge dollar implications. Mm-hmm. Um, so NF- NFTs are that. They attempt to create this scarcity that doesn't exist on digital things. And I want to talk about the, the good and the bad, and this will make up the rest of the episode. Here's what I think is bad about it, and here's what I think is good about it. Um, so... I, uh, I, men- I, I mentioned it earlier in my notes, and I didn't really say it out loud. I've kind of been glossing over my notes in favor of talking more about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what this is, in a, in a big way to me, is like trading cards, right? Yeah. So, and in fact, there's, I'll get into it, but the, it is trading cards. I mean, like, so that's been a market that's been around a really long time, right? It, except it's trading cards, except there's only one of each. Yeah, or there and can be more than one. There can be more than one, but they can be basically limited. Yeah. You know? So maybe there's only, like, 15 of this rare baseball card, this Mickey Mantle card, right? Mm-hmm. And there's only, like, 15 left in the world. And so that thing has value mostly because there's only, like, 15 of it. And then, furthermore, there's the level of, like, oh, but this one's in really good condition or really rare, really well-preserved. So that has even more value, right? But non-fungical, non-fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, tokens, uh, don't necessarily have that aspect, right? Right. Because they're digital, so they all are what they are. They're. It's not like, well, this one has a pixel that's bent. Right. They'll (laughs) never. They'll never degrade. Yeah. They'll never fall apart. They might end up in a wallet. They're never gonna turn around and desert. <laughs> See, the thing is, I think they might be able to end up into someone's like wallet. And then that person loses access to that wallet. Like that guy that had like millions in Bitcoin and couldn't remember the password. Oh, I don't remember hearing about that, but it's, yeah, it's happened a few I times. Mean, I could see that happening to me. There's I mean, g- not, not having Bitcoin, but like losing access to something. Cause I can't remember a password. There's a guy recently who was very famous for losing Get millions. A password diary. People just, <laughs> Fucking do it. That poor bastard. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, th- <clears throat> so so these are these are digital objects that have a scarcity in that there's only so many of them made. Yeah. So here's how, let's apply this to the NFT, you know, marketplace and say, because this is, this is, I think, where a lot of the money is going to be, is in sports memories and memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I was talking about this from a hypothet- hypothetical standpoint, because I knew they were thinking about doing this. But I'll get to you when later they've already done it. So here's an example from the NFL. I just used the NFL as an example. Let's say that they have minted on the blockchain in the NFL's official, you know, uh, trading depot or whatever, video of the Immaculate Reception. You know that play, right? Or at least I've heard of it. I think most people have at least heard of it. I feel like I've heard of it. I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, I'm not a huge sports nut, but basically Terry Bradshaw throws a... uh, pass that bounces off of someone's helmet and then it's caught and turned, you know, into a, a touchdown with 30 seconds left in the game. It's a game winning pass. Okay. It happens in 1972. It's basically everyone's favorite NFL memory or like way up there. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So now let's say the NFL has created its own crypto exchange for videos of sports memories. And they Mm -hmm. put that video on there as a listing. What is it worth? Only one person hypothetically can own this. What is that worth? Like we discussed on one hand, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Because that video is everywhere. I can pull it up on YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. But to someone who wants to own it and have the bragging rights to say it's theirs. I own the memory. Right. Um, So there's, I mean, that's the thing that strikes me is imagine how much money can change hands over something like this when we know that a New York Times article went for 700000 bucks, right? And there's other ones I'll talk about later that have gone for much more, NFTs mm-hmm. that have gone for much more. So what's that worth to someone, considering that, you know, sports is like religion in America? Mm-hmm. You can easily see that stuff going for more than that. Yeah. Um, and now take that and multiply it across every event in sports history. Mm-hmm. All of people's favorite moments. The amount of money that could yes, be in this let's, stuff. Let's give the organization, esteemed NFL organization, more money. Yeah, because that's the other thing. Selling it in the first place, that's their money. Created out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Out of something that already exists and people can already see and doesn't actually have value. Yes. And that's just 700000 plus dollars. Just yeah. as a starting point that that they just have now. Right. Um, the esteemed, great, pristine organization, non-problematic <laughs> NFL. Right. Who never does anything that pisses everyone off. Um, now, this is not how it actually works in practice, because usually they don't they don't mint something and then set a crazy high auction price for it. These things increase in value once they're owned. So let me give you the example of what's actually happening right now so you can see what I'm talking about. And again, people will buy this partially because they want it, partially because they think they can resell it, right? Mm -hmm. So think about how trading cards work. That's like the ultimate gamble. Yeah. I mean, with that much money involved, you really have to believe that this is the future of ownable digital moments. So think about baseball cards, right? Mm-hmm. How baseball cards usually work is you buy like a $5 pack of cards mm-hmm. and you open it up and there's certain rarities in there. They might include one that's kind of rare or, you, you know, your odds. There's of like so a, many common ones. Yes. Some like moderately rare and then like. Every once in a while they'll include something that's very rare. Yeah. So there's an element of chance to it. Right. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what is happening right now with the NBA. I didn't know they had already gotten this far. And that's why I was like, oh, my God, it's happening when I because I looked it up. So there's something called NBA Top Shots. Mm-hmm. It's a crypto powered exchange of moments in NBA history. It is essentially online trading cards and it has made two hundred and thirty million dollars already. <sighs> so this happens not by them being like, OK, so here's a, a Jordan dunk and we're going to sell it for one hundred thousand. That's not how it works. Because if they set the price there, people might not really buy it. You know, it's like, yeah. who says it's worth 100000 What happens instead is people spend $9 a pack for digital cards. And then in there, they might get a really rare one. They might get a not-so-rare one. They might get a lot of stuff, right? Then they can auction it. It can go on the marketplace. 
So right now, LeBron James's February 6th, 2020 dunk as a member of the L.A. Raiders or late <laughs> Lakers uh, is listed <laughs> for 250. He made a new basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Yeah. So the 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 this Lakers dunk is listed for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on that exchange. Mm-hmm. Someone got it most likely in a nine dollar pack of cards. Okay, but the value to the NBA is the fact that how many $9 packs of cards are they selling? I did the math. They've made uh, something in the ballpark of 25,500 sales of these $9 cards to make. That's assuming that their $230 million is all on $9 a piece cards. It might actually not be that way, right? Yeah. I mean, because what they're making also, if, if I have this rare LeBron moment and I want to auction it, they get a piece. They get a yeah. seller's fee. So if someone thinks it's worth $250,000, all the better for the NBA because they get a fatter chunk of that transaction fee. Mm-hmm. So all the better and more motivation for them to encourage this idea that it has value. Mm-hmm. And again, the supply and demand side says if someone's willing to pay 250000 then it is worth that. Yes. I kind of disagree. <laughs> right? <clears throat> um, here's the real irony, though. Here's what cracks me up. I looked at that dunk on the site, right? They mm-hmm. have it listed for auction. There's actually two of them, and the minimum bid is $250,000. I can watch that card play out. I'm looking at the listing. I'm watching the dunk. Mm-hmm. To me, it's as good as owning it. If I can pull it up and watch it, mm-hmm. it's as good as if it's assigned to my name. Mm-hmm. And... You saved two hundred and fifty thousand, or a hundred thousand, or whatever they're asking for. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You saved two hundred and fifty thousand. It's not the only multi hundred thousand dollar listing up there. There are a lot of them. You can see all these events as digital trading cards. So, this is the bad for me. This is the part that I think is bad about this and stupid. Right? Is like it's kind of a swindle, don't you think? Well, what's super frustrating is the fact that. Who has $250,000 to blow on this? That's an important question. And it's it's the same people mm-hmm. who have a majority of the money. Yep. And they this is what they find value in? This is what they find value in? This is what they don't want to let go of their money in their hot little greedy little hands for, but they'll give it for this? <laughs> Well, you I, won't give someone a 20 on the street, but you'll give 250,000 for to own something that anyone can watch at any point in time. You're like making my rhythm for me here. It's so great. You like <laughs> you're like leading me right where I want to go with this. Because that's an important question. Who has 250 grand to blow on this? There's either a people who like sink a bunch of money into buying Ethereum currency to then spend it on a card or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Those people who, like, actually put in that real-world money. Then there's a subcategory of people, the new crypto rich, who maybe don't come from money or even really have a lot of money, but they got in on this stuff when it was worth nothing and bought, like, tons and tons of coins. Mm Mm-hmm. With the expectation that someday it would be worth something, and lo and behold, holy hell, it sure is. 
Those people so exist. So fucking cash out and have money instead of spending 250000 on shit like that. I agree that it's stupid. I agree that it's stupid. But they have an incentive, too, because if you hold, like, 10,000 Ethereum coins or whatever, something, I don't know. I, I don't even know how many there are in existence. But I'm just saying, if you own a lot of a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and it's going up in value, and people are starting to appreciate it as a valuable thing. What is one of the best things you can do to like cement that that is actually worth something is help create a reality in which it actually is by sinking it all into something real or or fake real, limited scarcity, but kind mm-hmm. of real. Basically tying it to an it's, actual dollar price. Use it. Yes. Spend it. Spend it in a way that sets the bar of the value. This is where we move into what I think is good about this and also shitty about it, but kind of good about it. And this is that I think this has the potential to be an elaborate prank on the rich. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. I feel bad for people, normal people, who don't got a lot of money, who are sinking tons of their real world money into digital trading cards that are not ostensibly worth anything real. But how, how, like, I'm sure you don't have stats on it, but but how likely is it that that's the majority of the people doing it? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, $9? If you're, okay, I'm as greedy as the next person, I guess, probably. If I think I can spend $9 and have something that's worth virtual $250,000... Even but but it's the same thing as regular trading cards, right? Like sure, like a pack of trading cards is five bucks uh-huh. or nine bucks in this version, but there's a limited amount of rare things you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You might not. You probably get, won't. But, but trading cards are are gambling for kids, right? Yeah. Like that's how they get you started. Yes, because it's like, well, yeah, five dollars is nothing. Like that's my allowance this week or month or whatever but five dollars right. is nothing i can blow it on this and, and it's maybe you i'll get, a, get something rare you get a shiny thing either way but you might get right. something really great um but the likelihood that you're actually going to get something really high and then be able to get money off of it for it you know is not that high yes so then you get your next $5, and now you're hooked on the feeling of the potential and the hope that maybe you can. Yes. And now you do it again. Now and what that, you're paying for is the excitement. Yes. And that adds up. hmm And now you're essentially addicted to gambling. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it is. I mean, it is gambling. Yeah. I've been, you know, like investing this year in the market in little places here and there, including in buying some crypto and seeing what happens with it. And- you know, Chris always says, and he's absolutely right, it's gambling. If you put your money in there, you got to be comfortable with knowing it could all completely dry up and that you have yes. just gambled your money away. Yes. In, in many senses. You really, if you're trying to be responsible about it, should only use money that you're happy with blowing away in the wind. Yeah. And so in some sense, if people want to spend their $9 on the excitement around a possible shiny that never arrives, I get it. What bothers me is this thing that it's not a re- it's not a thing. Yeah. And it only has the value that the market puts on it and that value seems way overinflated to me. Way right. way way. And also if you have people hooked on the uh, uh, excitement and the hope 
and are now essentially addicted to gambling mm-hmm. in this particular way. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It mm-hmm. doesn't happen in a logical way. It if you're hooked on it, now you're hooked on it. Yeah. Like and and so you we can step back and say logically, like, yeah, like you're investing in crypto, that's a gamble. And so like you know mm-hmm. that like any money you put in there you could potentially lose so you're only using money that isn't already spoken for in your life that you actually need to pay for things you need to survive yeah i'm not sure but, everyone's doing that i'm not sure everyone's right doing that. and i i would assert that a lot of people aren't doing it that way and the same way with like the non-fungible tokens thing and the trading cards is like mm-hmm. you get to a point if you're hooked on something enough you aren't logical about it. I know. So that's going to be like, it starts out as just $9, but then it's like $9 whenever you have $9 that should be going to something else. Mm -hmm. And so now you're spending real money that you could actually be using on something you actually need. And that adds up pretty quickly. And now you are in a bad spot because you didn't get any rare cards or yeah. you did, but you're and not getting my the, rent. You're not getting the bid that you thought. So you're not making your money back and you, you spent your rent on nothing. It's propelled by greed and fantasy. It's propelled by greed and fantasy. That's really what it is. That's what drives these prices up, makes them seem worth paying for. Mm-hmm. And again, artificial scarcity like i can't stress that enough like the idea that there's only one of something blatant form of artificial scarcity yes it's i mean like it's 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 actually a lot it's it's not like the diamond companies withholding the diamonds yeah which does create real scarcity because they have control over all of them it's it's you being able to interact with the diamonds Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> and essentially have the diamonds, but still be like, well, I don't own the diamonds. Let's put it a different way, because the diamond analogy is a really good one. Let's say that there's uh, like millions of diamonds, and there are, right? Mm-hmm. A diamond is not a rare object on Earth. But now, like, <clears throat> only only four of those diamonds are considered diamonds. And we agree to pretend the other ones aren't diamonds. Yeah. We, we, we are participating in a collective illusion that there's only four. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that's what it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's where I want to transition this into what I think is, uh, maybe the positive upside of this. And I, I think I, I think I did. I already say it. An yes. elaborate prank on the rich. Yes. Um, this is what I hope happens because I feel as bad as I feel for the idea of people spending money that they don't have. I love the idea of people spending money. They do. And it being pointless and going to someone else. Mm-hmm. I just can't help myself. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, I agree. So have you heard the name Beeple? I think most people have heard the name Beeple around NFTs. I haven't. Beeple is an artist. Um, you've probably heard this story because it happened last month. Um, uh, Beeple is a digital artist who had a, a work of a collection of his work called um, every day, the first 5,000 days. And he was doing just every single day artwork, right? Digital artwork. Mm-hmm. And then compiled it into a large mosaic of images. Mm-hmm. 
and auctioned that as an NFT through Christie's as like a real piece of art on auction. Mm-hmm. First time I think, nah, maybe not the first time the digital art was sold, but certainly as an NFT, I mean, like, this is a first in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The big first is that it sold for 69 nice million dollars. <laughs> $69 million for a JPEG. <laughs> Let that sink in. A JPEG that's a composite of a bunch of other images. Yes, which I'm not totally sure, which but I'm probably pretty sure you can like see shit. them all. <laughs> well, it's probably massive. I don't yeah. know. Um, or, I, well, I don't know. But basically, a real legitimate Christie's auction $69 million. There's no way that people thought this would happen. You know mm. what the starting bid was? Hmm. 100 bucks. That's set like a minimum bid. Yeah. And is already too much to pay for right. a JPEG. Right, right. But this went from 100 to $69 million and it sold to a guy. And this is why I mentioned the new crypto rich. Because mm-hmm. I think it's, imp- it's, it's an angle to think about. Um, so the buyer, he's an early Bitcoin investor named Vignesh Sundarasan. Okay. Uh, he's basically a new crypto guy. Um, he got in on Bitcoin early and from Toronto, I think, started the first um, network of physical ATMs for Bitcoin. We weirdly have one at our gas station around the corner, which I oh, noticed Oh, yeah. The other you day. mentioned that the other day. It's like a physical ATM where you can like put in real money and get Bitcoin deposited into a wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting and not maybe totally useless, at least not to me. I mean, like, again, currency is currency. It's worth what people think it is. And so if you, you know, want to transfer your dollars to Bitcoin, I don't think that's a fundamentally stupid idea. Um, so he started this network of, of you know, uh, Bitcoin ATMs and it is essentially young crypto money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he paid $69 million for this artwork and is prepared, was prepared to pay more and is, has no regrets about this. And I think I know why. <laughs> um, because here's the example. When they put Beeple's artwork on the Christie's auction, mm-hmm. they had no idea what to expect it to be worth, right? Mm-hmm. It's a digital asset that is being sold for real world money for maybe the first time, and nobody really knows what that's worth. Did you hear that little snort? Yeah, I heard the little snort board. <laughs> um, they're being really good, by the way. Can we take a minute to and, and appreciate this? I'm not this? looking at them, but yes, I acknowledge <laughs> they're being very good boys today. They're just sleeping. So how do you set a price for this? The way you set a price is you let someone set the price. Mm-hmm. If you have a shit ton of money in cryptocurrency, establishing... That You're setting the value for this kind of thing very, very high. So yes. then more people down the line will pay a lot for it. And then you make your money on crypto. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of people, more people being into crypto and needing more crypto for these things mm-hmm. is going to make the guy who runs the crypto ATMs very rich, even more rich in the future. Take it as an example. If I have 50,000 Bitcoins, I don't know what that's worth. I'm willing to spend half of them on a piece of digital artwork blowing a shit ton of real world money to say that this piece of artwork is worth so much that the next time one comes along, someone has to put 
$50 million into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. The remaining Bitcoins I have, plus however many more I might acquire, continue to increase in value as they are taken seriously as a legitimate currency. You can see the incentive for the crypto rich mm-hmm. to push the value of the thing that they have an insane amount of, which to me is kind of, I don't know, it's it's artificial. All of this is artificial. This is not the good part yet, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. This is not the good part yet to me. I mean, this is still kind of bullshit. It's all bullshit. By throwing $70 million of artificial currency, essentially, at it, or I guess the currency is real, whatever, you know what I mean, Um, he sets a value. Um, It's the same kind of thing that allows the NBA to be like, well, what's someone going to pay for a digital trading card of LeBron James doing a heckin' dunk? (laughs) And then whatever someone pays for that, that's now that's now real. Yeah. And it's kind it, it the only way that I can see this being a good thing, and this is where I'm going with all this, is that the insanely rich to whom money doesn't mean anything and are w- willing to pay for what crypto is worth right now in like actual like state sponsored currencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing it now. So like I saw that there's um do you remember Disaster Meme Girl or Disaster Girl, the meme? Mm-hmm. The little girl that's like smirking and behind her the house is on fire? Yeah. That woman just <laughs> sold her meme as an NFT. Mm-hmm. She sold it to what I think turns out to be a very wealthy Saudi Arabian uh, investor, like a music studio, something like three something music or whatever it is mm-hmm. for 500,000 bucks. The ownership of this image of a smirking little girl with her with that her everyone has seen. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, she doesn't come for money. She didn't have money. Right. She just got five hundred thousand dollars from a right. crazy and rich she, investor. Right, and she found a way to monetize a thing that the internet took and made their own that she didn't make any money off of. An mm-hmm. image of herself. Yeah. And now she got paid for it. Yes. That I'm fine with. Good for her. That's what I mean. Because people have been using her image for years with nothing for her. <clears throat> exactly. I mean, these people who are like living memes as the expression yeah. goes. I mean, that's the, I mean, you know, we meme a lot. <laughs> but that that's the downside of, of memes. I was like, this is actually a real person and this can mm. actually affect their lives. And they have no real ownership over their own image because it's on the Internet. I mean, this is where I think there's one bright spot in all of this is there are people either with a shit ton of crypto that didn't have to pay for it. But whatever, they're like crypto rich Mm -hmm. or they're actually rich and not at all afraid to throw money at these digital things that we are kind of agreeing do not have value. Yeah. Imagine if whoever shot the dramatic look gopher or whatever suddenly has a million bucks from some rich guy somewhere to put into an animal sanctuary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could really happen. That could be, I mean, the girl that sold disaster me or disaster girl, she's going to pay her student loans. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like that's, um, I think a kind of noble use for your money is to pay off your whatever student loans or something. The thing is in, in that situation, I'm all for her getting that money. I'm all for, if you can take advantage of that situation, I'm all for people whose image have been used 
for ages and they've gotten nothing or had mm. detriment done to their lives and reputations because of it. Yeah. Getting something back. But the other the other side of it is like, I mean, not that LeBron James is hurting for money, but <laughs> his image is being sold by an yeah. organization that he belongs to. Yeah. He might be getting the the throwback, the trickle down of some of that. He that might. might be in his contract or whatever. I don't know but what like, the back. The, but like it's yeah. it's the eventuality of images of other people or images that maybe weren't even actually owned by the people who turns it into a non fungible token. Yeah. And sells it. They're the ones getting the money for it. Yeah. And it's. It's like if it's if it's the originator, if it's something like the you someone who was an, a meme person, yeah, that's fine. But like, there's gonna be this whole complicated thing of like, okay, but what if I do a piece of art, a real piece of art in real life? I put work into it. Someone else sees an image of it and likes it and they turn it into a non-fungible token uh-huh. and they sell it and they get money from it. Well, that's right. my piece of art that I did. So to further complicate all this stuff, like out here in the real world <laughs> outside of the blockchain, we do have this like system of intellectual property ownership, right? right? So like in theory, you could if you could find the person you mm-hmm. could take them to court uh, in theory, and then you could maybe get damages assessed to you and have them paid to you. But because so much of it is so, you know, uh, invisible, you know, and uh, anonymous. Yeah, even though it's accountable and, yeah. and like, you really on know the blockchain, it's still anonymous. So part of what makes this whole NBA thing work at all is that the NBA says this is our official exchange. Yeah. Right? I could, in theory start my own exchange of sports clips and put it online anonymously and they'd have to find me to like sue me. Mm-hmm. But also nobody would want it because it's not the NBA's official. Right. You know, so all this stuff is kind of an extension of some kind of good faith ideas of ownership anyway. It's very weird. <sighs> and all it's I can't stress enough. Worthless. Yes. Worthless. <laughs> I don't know. So this is where this is where I kind of feel like it turned turned into a rant uh, a little bit. It's just like it's just this stuff all hurts my head. There's like so many components and they're so complicated and uh, really hard to wrap my head around. But so let's let's wrap up here. Okay, because we've kind of talked about all of it. Also, I'm getting hungry and I want to eat a crab rangoon pizza. It sounds so fucking good, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, So let's just say this real quick. The NFT craze, as it is currently defined, because everyone's currently nuts about it, is pretty new. Um, We're a handful of months, really, into an experiment to see whether things like this have long run value. Mm -hmm. Right. Like right now, someone might spend seven hundred thousand dollars on an article about NFTs because they see it as a possible future document of historical significance and an investment in owning a piece of history. Mm hmm. But nobody knows if 10 years from now, anyone's going to give a shit about that. Right. I don't give a shit now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is what people are going, what direction people are going to, to waver in. NBA Top Shots, they think they have a product that will hold value for 100 years. They really do. Mm-hmm. They think it's like trading cards where, you know, you can still buy baseball cards that are crazy old and crazy rare for an insane amount of money. They really think that that's what they have. I don't know if I agree. Um And also, I worry a little bit about this implication, which is right now I can find all these things online, 
right? Um, I can watch, for example, I use the Immaculate Reception as an example. I can go watch that on YouTube. Mm -hmm. What if the NFL decides that it actually has more value if they copy strike every video of that event? Right. And so the only way to really access, watch, and trade it is through their exchange. Well, this, this kind of starts to come back to the I- idea, the very specific version of this idea that I talked about on the last episode, mm. which is ownership of things that uh, whether or not they should be accessible and mm-hmm. and limitation of things that maybe shouldn't be limited or more people should have access to, like, yeah, like art supplies and things like that, like. Yeah, what things, black and what things belong to the world and what things right. are truly private. And and then that gets complicated. And then you're going to have a whole bunch of steward samples on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think like I don't know. I I don't feel like if you're spending $9 for a pack of dig- digital cards that don't exist, you're really getting screwed. I think it's if you're only spending nine dollars and if you actually have that nine dollars to spend. And frankly, it's it's like loot boxes and games and stuff. It's like, yes, yeah. it's gambling, but it's a relatively low gamble. Unless you spend a ton of money on it. It's a small investment in a potential thing. I and it's not I don't find it to be as inherently bad as I do. Well, I mean I, I think it's dollars. I think it's a smart decision. Uh, taking emotion and personal feelings out of it. I think it's a smart decision for a business mm-hmm. to see that something is getting popular and okay, maybe we should embrace this yeah. because this might be the future. And how many companies have shot themselves in the foot because they refused to embrace the new way that things were going. Right. Like as a business decision, like blockbuster and like, like company, like how mm. many companies have gone out of business because they're like, the internet's not going to catch on. Right, they can't adapt. Right. So I think it's a smart business decision for the NBA and other companies to be like, no, this is the way the world is going. We should get in on this early because like we should find a way to use this to our advantage. Cause mm. there might come a time when this is what it is. And mm. then we're left behind because by the time we do get in on it, it's too late and there's not going to be money in it for right. people to actually spend. Mm-hmm. I think it's a smart business decision. I, I, I do don't the, think the NBA is very smart to do this, but I find it somewhat immoral right, on some level. Right. And I don't think it's a smart personal decision Yeah, for a lot of people, but that doesn't matter. And the truth <laughs> is we won't know until we see which way things like this trend. Yeah. If lots of people start spending hundreds of thousand dollars on moments in history that they don't really actually own anything for. And then nobody wants to buy them. There might come a time when nothing is real. (laughs) Well, no, just think about like all those people lose out, but the NBA, for example, still has all the proceeds made from selling those things, inventing a product. They've made their money. Thin air. Yeah. Um, And that just strikes me as like such a crooked Right, it's a, a smart, cynical. Thing. It's a smart business decision. Whether or not it's ethical mm-hmm. is a different discussion. Yeah, to the the extent to which they whip people up into a lather over the potential value of something that no one knows the value of is the extent right. to which it is an evil business. Yeah, that's how I kind of feel about it. 
Uh, but anyway, that's kind of all I have. It's I don't know. It's like a rife topic. It's just because we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know. I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm certainly also open to if someone listened to this and like you do not understand this at all, please let me know because <laughs> yeah. I admit that and some also, of this is speculative. And also, if if you listen to this and you disagree and you see some value in it, or you participate in this and and there's something that you think we're just ignorant of and not really fully grasping the mm-hmm. concept and. If we did, we would understand. Yeah. Then let us know that too. The the truth is, it's entirely possible and even likely that all of these things will continue to have value and even gain value in the future. But I think the the fact that they don't have to and that it's also incredibly volatile is a reason to be very skeptical about it. Listen, I'm just like a person without a lot of money from Youngstown, Ohio, <laughs> right. who's never had a lot of money and will never have a lot of money being like, what are you doing? Yeah. Hey, I've got a pack <laughs> of digital trading cards that could interest you in, maybe. I'll turn that around. We're all going to be rich. We're going to the moon. <laughs> um, <sighs> anyway, that's it. That's uh, digital artificial scarcity and uh, bullshit. And um, for God's sakes, uh, spend your money on real things if you can. Ideally, things that help someone else. Preferably crab rangoon pizza. Oh, we're totally gonna buy crab rangoon pizza in like moments. Uh, this has been <laughs> <laughs> this has been crab rangoon pizza hour. Crab rangoon pizza hour with your host Fernfer in Fjornfjorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, that's been another episode of Goose Chase. Thank you for listening. Goose Chase. Um, we will hopefully see you in two weeks, like normal, with another normal episode. This, Hopefully. This was not a not normal episode either. I don't know why I said it that way. I don't know. We're not really doing great at sticking to a schedule here, but we're doing our best. We're doing our damnedest. Spring has sprung and uh, everyone is super uh, happy and uh, we're going to do more of these and life is great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Thank you for listening. Don't buy NFTs. They're stupid. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at GooseChasePod, and our website is www.GooseChasePodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at GooseChasePodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Want to go on a goose chase? Ooh, yes. 